false teaching compromised the church in ancient Colossae and is often embraced in our modern churches. How can you know when a ministry is authentic? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series in Colossians with a look at the characteristics that identify one who brings true Bible-based teaching. Listen now as David introduces today's message, Authentic Christian Ministry. Well, today we're going to talk about Colossians again. Now we're in the last part of the first chapter, where we have a couple of paragraphs that describe Paul's concept of ministry. It's real. It's visceral. Um, It is ministry as it really is, not like sometimes we wish it would be. He talks about suffering and tribulation and problems. And yet he talks about the reality of Jesus Christ in the midst of it all. We're going to look there in just a moment. I hope you'll be with us throughout um, this day and tomorrow, and as we continue our study of this New Testament book. I have in front of me a copy of the book on Colossians. It's beautiful. And it is everything we've talked about in the book of Colossians, and it's in a format that you can easily access all the footnotes, all the illustrations, all the points. And if you want to teach this in a small group, uh, we have a small group a study guide for all of the participants. We have uh, CDs and DVDs. And uh, by the way, the book, Christ Above All, which is the commentary on Colossians, is the resource for the month of August here on Turning Point. And you can get your copy of this 288-page book, by simply sending a gift of any size to Turning Point, and we'll send this book to you as our way of expressing our gratitude for your investment in what we're doing on the radio around the world. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. Well, what does it mean to be authentic in Christian ministry? Here's Paul's answer from Colossians chapter 1. As the Apostle Paul is moving about Rome I like to imagine what it was like for him. Just think what it would have been like. Paul wasn't in a prison cell. He was chained to a Roman soldier. And every four hours, they changed the soldier. Now, let me just pause for a moment and ask you, if you were an unbelieving pagan Roman soldier, didn't want to know anything about Jesus Christ, the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you would be to be chained to the Apostle Paul. So. The question is, who was the prisoner in all of this? (laughs) Do you know that Paul led so many of those soldiers to Christ that when he closed his letter to the Philippians, he said this, and all the saints of Caesar's household speak to you and bring greetings. All the people who had been saved out of Caesar's house, how did they get saved? They got chained to Paul. It was a spiritual chain reaction. I know that's not good, but I'll leave it there. (laughs) And here he is now. He's in Rome, and he's moving around the city. Epaphras, his friend from Colossae, is going along with him, and little by little giving him more details of what's going on in the church back home. His thoughts are focused on some way to help this little city of Colossae and their church. Remember, these false teachers had infiltrated the city, and they had one advantage over Paul. They were in Colossae, and Paul was in Rome in jail. They could command the Colossian believers' attention. They could persuade them with their polished speeches and their promises of giving them a higher level of 
spiritual knowledge. They were the woke religionists of their day. They could sow seeds of doubt and confusion without being challenged by anybody because Paul wasn't there. So it was time for Paul to get personal, and he knew that in order to keep the Colossians from falling prey to the false teaching that surrounded them, he would have to become very vulnerable himself. He needed to persuade them that he was who he was. He needed to persuade them that he wasn't just responding uncompassionately to the warning that Epaphus had brought him. So he sets out to show the Colossians why he is an authentic minister of the gospel. He's literally going to give his own pedigree. He's going to talk about himself, which he never does. He starts this discussion in verse 24, where he turns from his writing about the Colossians and begins to talk about himself. And in the next 13 verses, he will use the personal pronoun I eight times. Why is Paul doing this? Why is he talking about himself? He has to credential himself in order for the Colossian believers to grab hold of the truth he's going to share with them. He wants them to know he's not just some impassioned teacher like the ones who are infiltrating their church. He is a minister of the gospel. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell them some things about himself. Now, I can report to you what he said. That's one way of teaching this. Or I can apply what he said to you and to me. One outline is called an informational outline. This is what happened. The other outline is called an applicational outline. This is what happened, and this is what it means to you. So I'm going to give you the imperatives that are a part of this discussion, and we'll apply them to our own hearts as they seem necessary. First of all, Paul tells us we need to get ready to suffer. Not a good place to start. I wish I could choose a different place, but... This is the way it is. Paul says in verse 24 of Colossians 1, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul begins his letter to the Colossians by telling them that he was suffering. Even as he wrote this letter, he was chained to a jailer, He was living with the fact that he had been falsely accused of all kinds of assorted charges, some of them lethal. He could no longer travel. He could no longer preach. He could no longer evangelize great cities. He could no longer plant great churches. His body was a mosaic of whip marks printed on his flesh by many Hebrew lashings and Roman scourgings. And he was chronically ill on top of it all. He was in need of the constant care of a physician. Now, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. That's kind of masochistic. That's kind of sick, really, when you think about it. Who rejoices in their sufferings? But read the whole lesson. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, Paul didn't rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. He rejoiced because he was suffering for the sake of the church. All of the trouble he experienced in his ministry was worth it because the church was growing in Colossae and around the world. When Paul says he is filling up the afflictions that are lacking of Christ, he is absolutely not suggesting that there was anything missing in the suffering and death of Christ. 
I mean, that couldn't be true. That would invalidate what Jesus himself said when his suffering on the cross was done. He said, John 19.30, it is finished. Nothing more to be done, nothing left undone, nothing lacking to be filled up, added later. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. The sacrifice for us by Christ on the cross was absolutely all that it ever needed to be and could be. So Paul is not saying my suffering is an addition to the suffering of Jesus. Believe it or not, there are some parts of the church that teach that and actually turn it into some sort of a ceremony. After acknowledging that this verse does not mean that Paul was making up anything lacking in the suffering of Christ on the cross, it is important to know what he did mean. What he meant was that he was suffering himself even as Christ had suffered on the cross. Paul did not help with the atonement. That was Christ's solo work. But one thing that the phrase does teach for sure, and everybody who writes about it says the same thing, is that a close identification develops between Christ and his church through suffering. Have you ever read any of the underground church stories? Have you ever read any what goes on in China, for instance, when believers meet quietly, secretly, under the threat of death if they get caught? Have you ever read the story of the joy they have in their fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul had been making Christ suffer in the people he had been persecuting. In fact, do you remember the first words Jesus gave concerning that? When he met Paul, after Paul came to Christ on the Damascus Road, here's what he said to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus physically because Jesus wasn't there. Jesus had gone back to heaven. Paul was persecuting Jesus as he persecuted the bodies of Jesus' followers. But as soon as Paul was converted, Jesus said to Paul, I will show you how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. And now Paul would suffer and Christ would suffer in him. An incredible truth. Paul's sufferings fill up Christ's afflictions by extending them to the people that they were meant for in the first place. It's an interesting thing, and it isn't negative. It is just the truth. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we proclaim the cross as the way to life, people will see the marks of the cross in us and feel the love of the cross from us. Talk to anybody who knows it. Most of the people that get saved without somebody coming and making a special presentation to them get saved by watching how God's people suffer and noticing that there's a quality in that that they can't understand. So they come and ask a question like, why are you the way that you are? How could anybody go through what you go through and rejoice, as Paul said, we can do in the suffering that extends the ministry of Christ? The Wycliffe missionary was taken hostage by guerrillas in the Columbia's the ultimatum was all Wycliffe missionaries out of Columbia in 10 days or we will kill the hostage. What was Wycliffe's answer? We do not bargain with terrorists and we do not pay ransom for hostages. We stay. Our missionary's life is expendable for the cause of Christ. He knows it. We all know it. This is part of our commitment. I must tell you, when I read that, I swallowed hard. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was thankful I wasn't that missionary. 
But I wondered secretly what I would have done had I been that missionary. This is the reality of the gospel. That is the reality of suffering. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to the believers in Colossae. He was suffering. And some of it was for them. Some of what he was going through was because of his love for them and his desire to communicate to them and help them through this difficult time. The apostle Peter actually puts suffering and rejoicing together. 1 Peter 4.13 we read, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said, God appoints his ministers to be solely exercised both from without and within, that they may sympathize with their flock. Years ago, when I first got started in the ministry, somebody gave me a statement that I recently traced back to a man named Alan Redpath. And here's what the statement says. Before God can greatly use a man, he has to crush him. I thought that, man, I'd like to be used by God, but the crushing part of it, you can have that. I don't need that. But you know, I've been watching that now for a few years. And just about everybody I know that God uses has been through some stuff. I could go through the list that I have of what they've experienced. But God trusts them with something that crushes them. And Paul said, I want you to know if you're going to be a minister, like I'm a minister, I want you to know what my life is like. It's suffering. I suffer. And then the next thing he says in verses 25 through 27 is, get ready to serve. If you want to make a difference for God as a pastor or a minister or in your own lay ministry, get ready to suffer, get ready to serve. Chapter 1, verse 25, he says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Paul is telling the believers in Colossae who are Gentiles that God has given to Paul himself, he's given to him a stewardship to reach them. And the mystery he's talking about is not a whodunit mystery. It's not a mystery like we think of mysteries. A mystery in the New Testament is something that is known in the past but has not yet been revealed in the present. Something that's not in the scripture, but is a direct revelation from God to his special servants. What was the mystery that Paul said he was responsible for in connection with the Colossians? Here it is. The mystery was that God was going to bring all the Christians from Judaism and all the Gentile Christians, and he wasn't going to have a Judaistic Christian church and a Gentile church But he was going to bring all these Christians together and put them in one church. That all Christian Gentiles, all Christian Jews would be in one church, the body of Christ. That's the mystery. Now, that sounds like not all that big a deal unless you know what was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the hatred they had for each other. I mean, it's historic. It's unbelievable. Read the historians of that time and you'll discover they had no time for each other. They had disdain for each other. And here comes Paul saying, God has told me that my role for you is that you're going to come together with all the Christians out of Judaism and we're going to be one in Christ. And you can hear them saying, you've got to be kidding me. 
Or some of them might have said, that's never going to happen. The mystery that Paul is talking about here in the first chapter of Colossians is the mystery that Gentile believers are joined with Jews in one spiritual body. From both the Jewish and Gentile perspective, this seemed impossible. Bishop John Green of Sydney, Australia, tells about working with a group of boys, some of aboriginal blood and some of English descent, and how the racial tensions were such that they would not sit peaceably with each other on the bus. One day, when things were out of hand, he stopped the bus, ordered all of the boys out, and told them they were no longer black and white, but that they were all green. He lined them up in alternate order and made each one say, I'm green, and put them back on the bus. They drove along quietly integrated until he heard a voice from the back of the bus say, Okay, light green on one side, dark green on the other. (laughs) The ancient Jews and Gentiles were like that without any humor. (laughs) They hated each other. And then Paul says the key to this is, in Christ, the hope of glory. The DNA of those who become Christians, the DNA of all of us is the same. There isn't a black way to get saved and a white way to get saved. There isn't a Hispanic way to get saved and an English way to get saved. There's only one salvation. And what is that salvation? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? When you become a Christian, Your ethnic background, the color of your skin, whatever, is incidental. What's really important is that you have Jesus, and Jesus brings us together in one body. We are not individually unique before God. We're all part of the body of Christ in the sense of the church. And the reason that is true is because we all have the same DNA. My DNA, your DNA, there's no different. Why am I a Christian? Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Why are you a Christian? Christ is in you, the hope of glory. What else matters? That's the question. So Paul is going to serve his people. He wants everybody to know that his job is to suffer and to serve and to bring this stewardship of this mystery to reality. Then he says, get ready to suffer, get ready to serve. Now get ready to speak. Verse 28, him We preach, said Paul, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that Christianity is not a theory, not an institution, it's not a book, it's not a set of rules, it's not a code of morals, not a system of philosophy, it's not even a statement of truth or principle. Christianity is a person. Christianity is a living person with whom All of these things are connected. This is because in Christianity, you cannot take the message without taking the messenger. Jesus Christ proclaims the kingdom. Guess what? He's the king. (laughs) Jesus Christ presents the truth. Guess what? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Whatever he proclaims is who he is because Christianity is not a program. Christianity is a person. Christianity is Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Paul says, him we preach. Make sure we stay on the message. 
make sure we understand that who we preach is what we are and what we believe. He says, him we preach, and then he gives us some descriptions of how we preach. He says, sometimes we warn. How many of you know warnings are necessary? I'm not real crazy about that kind of preaching, the warnings. I know some people that live and die for that. You'd be hard-pressed to ever go to the church and hear a positive word because they're warning all the time. He says, him we preach, and we preach by warning. And then he says, we preach also by teaching. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be called a preacher, but my estimation, it's even a better thing to be called a teacher. Preaching stirs people up for the moment. Teaching puts meat on their bones, gives them strength for the long haul. When you're called to do what I do, you have to be both a teacher-preacher. That's sometimes what we're called. Paul said, we preach Christ. We don't preach a doctrine. We preach a person. And we do it by warning people. He's warning the Colossians right now in this passage. Don't get caught up in this false doctrine because it will lead you away from Christ. And him we preach by teaching, taking the word of God and opening it up and telling people, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is what it means to you. I am so grateful for the privilege God has given to me to be a teacher. And it's my joy to come here every week, put in my time during the week, and come here to teach the Word of God. Because what I know is, when you are nourished up in the pure Word of God, it strengthens you for the battle. It helps you meet the challenges of the day. You are today, as a Christian, in your strength quotient, the reality of the Word of God that you have absorbed into your life and that you have learned how to use. Greatest privilege anyone can have is to be a teacher of the Word of God. Paul has one more thing he says we need to get ready for. Get ready to suffer. Get ready to serve. Get ready to speak. Get ready to struggle. To this end, I also labor, he says, striving according to his working which works in me. Paul's language in this verse is brutally compelling. The Greek word translated labor was used for work which made someone so weary it would be like being beaten up by others. He denotes labor to exhaustion, labor that is overwhelming. Have you ever been dead tired? Have you ever done something that just took everything out of you and you were so dead tired you couldn't pull yourself hardly into your house? Someone says, I'm too tired to take a shower. Show me where the bed is. That's what Paul's talking about. Bone tired, bone tired. I mean, um, I love what some of the men said about, uh, I'm tired, good night, Lord. Um, That's kind of how it is. But you know, there's something about that. Uh, I often feel that way when I come home from church on Sunday because it's the end of having preached three uh, major messages within a 12-hour period, and I am bone tired. But it's the greatest tired there is of the week, having spent yourself for the gospel and for teaching the Word of God. I have some more about this tomorrow uh, as we look at part two of Authentic Christian Ministry. Don't forget you can get your copy of the entire series in writing. There's a brand new book that just came out, 288 pages, hardback, Christ Above All, the book of Colossians. It's the source of these messages, and we want you to have the book. Please ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. Don't forget, we have also uh, 
published a magazine that we think is very powerful. And you can get that magazine delivered to your home simply by asking for it. Or you can have the devotionals from that magazine that cover every day, Monday through Friday, and each weekend. You can have those downloaded into your own um, mailbox, your own email mailbox. And uh, we're happy to do whatever you want to do. We'd like you to get the material. We think the information will help you. It will add value to your life as a Christian. And that's what we love to do. Give us the opportunity. And then don't forget to join us tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point as we take a last look at the authentic Christian ministry paragraphs of Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm David Jeremiah. I'm with you every day. Thank you for listening. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Christ Above All, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. When you're in an airplane at 35,000 feet, you don't want to hear the pilot say, Folks, in 41 years of flying, I've never encountered this problem. And when you visit your doctor, you don't want to hear him say, I've never seen a rash like that. Nobody likes surprises, especially life-threatening ones. But they happen. And the question is not if, but when life will throw us a curveball. 
And the biggest question is, will we be ready? What is your plan for handling life's surprises? I recommend the plan found in the Bible, faith in the God for whom nothing is a surprise. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answers on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.